0: Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 377 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. This episode is called Making Choices. It is September 17, 2022, and this is Jen. I've got a whole random amount of stuff here relating to Activision Blizzard and other gaming companies and other stuff, and it... When I was looking at all the things I've selected for this show, it's really about making choices. So that's why we have the title. Uh, This show is a little bit late because I last show I said I had a sinus infection, but it turned out to be a bacterial infection in my sinuses. So I called a doctor and got some medication and it's making me fall asleep a lot. So I'm a little bit behind, but the show will go on. The first thing I have for you is a tweet from Insomniac Games, and they wrote this on Twitter. Insomniac Games is honored to celebrate Hispanic and Latina Heritage Month, a time that acknowledges the cultural impact and achievements of Hispanic and Latina communities around the world. We're inspired by their strength and passion from within our studio and beyond. As Latina and Hispanic developers at Insomniac, we are eager to honor the legacy our families built before us. We proudly recognize our culture's impact on the world, the stories we tell, and the games we create. We are an important part of insomniac studio culture and its vision to make games that have a lasting and positive impact now to be clear hispanic and latina heritage month does not start at the beginning of a month it starts on september 15th and goes until i want to say october 15th i might be wrong about that but it is a month in time i'm not sure why the uh Month is scheduled in that way, but it's always nice to honor people's heritage. And Insomniac Games is doing that. I think that's a really good thing. I haven't seen too many other gaming companies make that choice. So here we are. You know, somebody, some gaming company said, "Hey, we really want to let people know about this." Ars Technica has an article called "Regulators Put the Brakes on Microsoft's Activision Acquisition." The blurb underneath it says Microsoft faces prolonged competition investigation into $75 billion acquisition. This apparently came from Financial Times, but it's on Ars Technica. It is pretty normal for different websites that are talking about the news of of any kind of topic, really, to pull in stuff from other news sources. So that's what this is, and I'll read you a little bit of that. Microsoft's $75 billion acquisition of video game maker Activision Blizzard faces in-depth probes in Brussels and the UK following growing concerns the deal is anti-competitive and will exclude rivals from accessing the blockbuster game Call of Duty. It comes as the UK's Competition and Markets Authority is expected to launch an in-depth investigation this week after Microsoft decided not to offer any remedies at this stage, according to two individuals with knowledge of the situation. Earlier this month, the CMA became the first global antitrust regulator to sound the alarm over the transaction, giving Microsoft five days to come up with undertakings that would resolve its worries or face an extended Phase 2 probe. So CMA is the Competition Markets Authority in the UK. The companies have already been in talks with regulators in Brussels since the deal was announced eight months ago in what is known as the pre-notification stage, an indication of how scrupulous officials will be during the probe. Regulators and others involved in the deal expect a prolonged EU investigation once Microsoft officially files its cases in Brussels, in the coming weeks. People familiar with the EU's thinking say regulators will take their time to examine this deal because of its size, the nature of the buyer, and the rising concerns from rivals including Sony. Quote, it is a big deal, a difficult deal, said a person in Brussels familiar with the transaction. Quote, it needs an extensive investigation. It comes after Sony last week accused Microsoft of misleading the games industry and regulators about its commitment to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation consoles. It said Microsoft had only offered to keep releasing Activision's hit game on PlayStation for a limited number of years. If I remember correctly, it was like three years. Sony thought it would only be three years, and then they'd lose it all, I guess, is their interpretation of this, based on what I read on the last show. So, I don't know. Uh, There's a little bit more here. The move by the UK lays out the issues that Microsoft will have to overcome to pull off its biggest ever deal. The US tech giant is hoping to close the deal by the end of June next year, but must first clear regulatory hurdles in countries from New Zealand to America. Microsoft opted not to offer any remedies to the CMA at this stage because there were no obvious commitments the UK regulator would be likely to accept, according to people with knowledge of the situation. Oh my, that's not a good sign at all. And there's a little more in here um, that'll leave you to read. Everything that I post or talk about um, during this show will be posted on the ShatteredSoulStone.com website so you can read the whole article if you choose to. Kotaku has an article titled, Xbox Boss Commits to Current Console Prices, Comma, and Buying More Studios. Because, of course, the best thing you can do when you're being regulated by various countries about whether or not you can acquiesce or take over uh, or purchase, whatever word you like, Activision Blizzard King is to just go buy more studios. Of course, no one will think that's weird at all. That's not going to come up in any of the acquisition-related stuff. No, of course not. So the blurb on this one says, Phil Spencer, who is the CEO of Xbox, spoke about keeping Xbox series prices where they are, but spending far more on game developers. Sony turned a few heads when it unexpectedly hiked prices on the PlayStation 5 in the current generation of consoles. Naturally, many wondered if the same complicated economic situations we all find ourselves in would see a spike in Xbox prices as well. In a recent interview with CNBC, however, Phil Spencer, head of Xbox, stated that raising the price of the Xbox Series line wouldn't be a wise move for the company right now. He also explained that Microsoft has no plans to slow down on investing in game studios despite the Activision Blizzard bid. While in Japan for the Tokyo Game Show, Phil Spencer appeared on CNBC to talk about Microsoft's potential interest in acquiring more companies, how it sees itself in the Japanese video game market, and whether or not Xbox will be following PlayStation in a price hike. Spencer stopped short of, quote, Categorically, end quote, denying Xbox would raise its prices, and instead chose to highlight the success of more budget-conscious Series S, as well as stress that while, quote, customers are more economically challenged and uncertain than ever, end quote, the company isn't presently making plans to raise its prices. I have the uh, less expensive Xbox S and it's nice. I have not had the opportunity to play it in a little while, but I'm happy with it. So it's not like it's a lesser thing. You know, the other one's probably a little bit, the X is probably a little more expensive, but I don't see anything wrong with the S. Uh, There's a little more in here. Maybe you want to hear Though this is a more direct acknowledgement that we shouldn't expect price hikes in the near future, Spencer said that, quote, going forward, end quote, the company can't totally rule out the possibility of a price change. Here is what appears to be a quote from uh, Phil Spencer. We're always evaluating our business going forward. I don't think we can ever say on anything that we will never do something. But when we look at our consoles today, Series X and Series S, We think value is incredibly important. We love the position of Series S in the market, which is our lower cost console. Over half of our new players that we're finding are coming in through Series S. And I can definitely say we have no plans today to raise the prices of our consoles. We don't think it's the right move for us at this point to be raising prices on our console. The topic of console prices, Kotaku continues, followed a conversation on acquisitions, as Phil Spencer stated that the competitive nature of the video game market means that the company doesn't, quote, get to press pause on anything, end quote, laying out the size of its competitors, such as Sony and Tencent. The recent Activision acquisition has certainly ruffled some feathers between Xbox and PlayStation, particularly concerning the future of Call of Duty's multi-platform status. On acquisitions, Spencer said, here's a quote, Tencent is the largest gaming company on the planet today. And they continue to heavily invest in gaming content and game creators. Sony is a larger business than we are in gaming today, and they continue to invest. When you look at the investments that we've made, it's a highly, highly competitive market. We strive to be a major player here, whether that's investing in our internal teams or building new partnerships. And it kind of goes on from there. I'll leave you to read the little bit that's left. There are some replies if you'd care to take a look at them. I tend to skip those over. A Better ABK, which is the ABK Workers' Alliance on Twitter, did some digging. They wrote this in a tweet on September 13th. Thank you to the Freedom of Information Act for having Activision provide pay bans for Raven Software when they were trying to bust Game Workers' Alliance. We've done a lot of peer-to-peer review and are using this data to promote equitable compensation and transparency. Now, for those who don't know, the Freedom of Information Act is something in the United States, at least possibly other countries, but I'm certain it's in the United States. And it basically allows people who have reason to ask for certain information to receive it, especially if it's from large companies, from government stuff, this sort of thing. Raven Software started out as Raven Software and was part of um, Activision... I think Activision, and they wanted to get a union. They did get their union. It's called the Game Workers Alliance. But, of course, Activision Blizzard King was trying to squash that, I think, particularly through Activision, who I think the Raven software was with. I think I might not be right, but it's close to that at at the very least. So, A Better ABK has a whole list here of... Job names or profile names uh, like QA functional tester one, two, three, four, entertainment game designer, associate game designer, associate concept artist, artist, video editor, animator, rigging, all of this stuff. You know, there's a ton of stuff in here. And there's some ranges of salary in here. So at the very top, QA functional tester one. Would get a minimum salary of $27,500. The salary range maximum is $44,000. They are all, almost all of the uh, jobs on this list say they are hourly, not salaried. And one job is FLSA exempt. I don't know what FLSA is, but just one of those is. That one gets salary. It is the title of software engineer. And so it starts, the lowest you can get in this grouping of uh, jobs uh, for, I guess, Activision, but Blizzard King, I would think, uh, is $27,000 hourly. I guess they're, they're hourly. They're not salary. If you go down to the bottom, uh, once you hit artist, level designer, software engineer, animator, audio designer, UX designer, software engineer, again, uh, motion capture tech, producer, developer, developers in parentheses, rigor, uh, which is how you get. It's kind of neat. I've seen some people put little videos of this. Rigor is where you have, in some cases, actual humans. Uh, go out onto an area that has been designed to function somewhat like a green screen, and you put these little sticky things on them so that they can move in ways that will teach the animators how to move characters around in order to have like you know little videos in between your gaming stuff and all that. It's really neat. It looks kind of funny to start with, but it's it's that kind of stuff. Um, and the the rigging comes from. The going out with actual humans in an area where you have like a huge, huge set that's basically a green screen to move around in certain ways and have the computers pick it up. It's, this is a very simplistic description, but that's what that is. Uh, A rigger then can put, use those points that go into the software to maneuver characters around and stuff like that. So the rest of those are narrative designer, lighting artist, and FX artist. And the lowest of that selection, like... The previous to the video editor and game designer stuff, the highest you can get is $58,300 as a, a hourly worker. And once you get beyond that, there's a couple in here that are salary. The UX designer is salary and the software engineer is salary they start at $61,400 and go up to $69,000. But the max range of this can go up to, it's, it's very different. Like at the top, the QA testers, they start at 44000 you know, uh, salary range if they got salary. But they're all marked as hourly, so they're never going to get that. There's only two jobs here that can have salary at this point from this particular information. There's more in here. It goes higher. There are UI artists, concept artists, tools, design, software engineer, systems designer, building, and it goes on and on. Expert artist, expert animator, you know all this stuff. Concept artists in there somewhere. They start at um, sixty-nine thousand dollars hourly or salary. Somehow that's the... I'm not sure. Some of them are salaried, but they're making the same amount. And then when you hit Senior Game Designer, you apparently can get between $76,000 and uh, $121,500 at salary. And then it goes up to $136,000 maximum, starting at $85,000 for a number of positions All of which, almost all of which are salary. One of them is hourly. That would be the supervisor system admin. And then you can go up to uh, start at $90,400 for an expert game designer whose salary can go up to $144,600. It goes to expert audio designer, which starts at $101,300, as do several other positions under that. And the rest of those, All um, the software engineer can get up to, well, the expert game designer can get up to $144,600 in salary. The software engineer can get $151,000 in salary, and the rest of them are getting $162,000 in salary. There's a senior expert uh, engine engineer that can get up to $194,000 in salary, and a print artist that gets $234,800 in salary. So there's more in here. I'll leave you to take a look at it. Like I said, everything will be linked to in the show notes, so you can check it out. But the cool thing about this is now... Activision Blizzard King, who are still kind of working on their union, is my understanding. I mean, I think... I'm not sure if they have a union. Um, I got a little lost in that. There's been so many unionization efforts across the United States that I'm not sure who's where. But this right here, coming from Activision Blizzard King, tells ABK, and now everyone who's read this, or listened to me read it to you, just how much people are making based on their position title. And so now... This can be used by anyone who's trying to go into gaming at, you know, getting a job in gaming or a gaming company, because now they have at least a glimpse into what they should be offered for pay. And that's, that's a way to uh, really make things better for the workers, because now that this information is known, especially if you intend to work for Activision Blizzard King, you know how much you should be paid by them, and you maybe shouldn't accept less than that depending on your title. I love when people do that kind of stuff. Bring it out in the open so everybody knows. IGN has an article titled Ubisoft launches 5-year plan to improve diversity at its studios. That's a good choice. You always want to have diversity in your studios. Otherwise, you have like the same kind of games made by this people of the same kind of culture, and you need like a mix in order for things to really attract people, I think, in in gameplay. So, This is called Project Rise, and it will focus on racial, ethnic, and cultural improvements. Ubisoft is launching a five-year plan to improve racial, ethnic, and cultural diversity within its studios and the wider company. As reported by gi.biz, an Ubisoft blog post delved into how the Assassin's Creed and Far Cry publisher is planning to evolve its workplace culture, one of which is through a new initiative called Project Rise. It looks to diversify Ubisoft's staff by increasing the number of people from different backgrounds. Focusing in particular on gender identity, race and ethnicity, LGBTQIA plus inclusion and disability inclusion. I fit several of those. I'm not going to work for a gaming company though. Uh, Present at different parts of the company. Quote, we know we have room for growth when it comes to the representation of racial, ethnic, and cultural diversity both within Ubisoft and the gaming industry at large, said VP of Global Diversity, Rasha Sika. With this in mind, We created a multi-year strategy called Project Rise to ensure that Ubisoft better reflects the diversity of our players with a focus on racial, ethnic, and cultural diversity. Over the course of the next five years, we will focus on three key areas— talent acquisition, internal talent development, and external talent pipeline development. We know that different people experience life and the workplace differently. There are different opportunities and barriers that we all face. In the workplace, addressing barriers requires us to be specific, targeted, and focused in our actions. And uh, IGN continues with, an increasing number of entertainment companies have made diversity a growing focus in recent years, including Take-Two Interactive, Disney, and more. Elsewhere, a series of lawsuits filed against Activision Blizzard were the result of its alleged frat boy culture. I've talked about that many times, and it's just sort of an interesting comparison with that. There's an article from Axios also about Ubisoft workers. It says Ubisoft workers speak out comma want more change from management. So here's a little bit of this. And Axios tends to put things in bullet points to make it really easy for people to to, uh, you know skim through, I suppose. Ubisoft game designers are expressing a mix of despair and defiant hope when talking about their company's attempts to reform. Driving the news, several of those workers spoke to Axios in Paris last week in meetings far from the company's headquarters. Why it matters. In the last two years, Ubisoft has seen a raft of allegations about workplace misconduct, the departure of several men accused of toxic management or sexual misconduct, and a restructuring of the company's HR and top creative teams coupled with vows by executives to do better. Some employees say that's not enough. What they are saying... Quote, it's not harassers who create toxic culture. It's a toxic culture that produces harassers, Ubisoft game designer Marc uh, Rochelle said in, I may have pronounced that wrong, said during a meeting at the Office of French Tech Workers Union Solidaire, uh, Solidaires Informatique. A four-year veteran in Ubisoft's Paris office says the ouster of some problematic people from the company has helped, but he wants more structural change, more women in the company, for example, and more transparency about investigations. In March of 2020, Rochelle formed a union chapter at Ubisoft's Paris offices. A year later, the union filed a sexual harassment suit against the company, blaming current and former leaders for harassment or for enabling it. Ubisoft doesn't comment on litigation, a rep confirmed. The lawsuit, modeled off of a successful action over moral harassment against France Telecom, is expected to take five or more years to unfold. Uh, There's a bit more in here. Um, Some Ubisoft workers have cited improvements crediting enlightened leaders at the local level at Ubisoft's worldwide studios far from Paris HQ. Here's some quotes. Uh, Quote, morale is highly variable from team to team in my experience, even within a single studio. One developer said, some express hope in the company's expanding diversity and inclusion team, which I just read to you about, which is looking at the workforce and the content of Ubisoft games. But workers also report some reforms are backfiring, quote, all of the recent additional harassment, abuse and DNI training has taught managers is how to say the right things or at least not say the wrong things and appear to act correctly, one said. But in my experience, much of the change is superficial. And there's a little bit more in there if you'd like to read that one. Don't know if you noticed this or not, but uh, there was a DDoS attack on Activision Blizzard games a few days ago on the 14th of September. This is also by IGN and they've titled it DDoS attack takes major Activision Blizzard games offline for hours. Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Overwatch and more went down. I can confirm that Diablo Immortal was down and Diablo 3 was down at the same time. I was trying to play them, and it didn't work. And then I went looking, and I'm like, oh, there's a DDoS attack. Okay. So here's a little bit about that. A DDoS attack against Activision Blizzard brought down the company's PC servers for hours, leaving many users unable to play games, including Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, and Overwatch. Now, Overwatch is Overwatch 1 right now. Overwatch 2 is coming up, and I'll have more to say about that in a little bit. And World of Warcraft is engaged in, I think, a beta for their Dragon something uh, stuff. I haven't played Warcraft in a while, so I can see where this would annoy a number of people that the DDoS thing was going on. It was like really early in the morning where i met when this happened. Um, in any case... Uh, Activision Blizzard first acknowledged the issue in a tweet at 12.15am Pacific on September 14, saying it was investigating an issue affecting its authentication servers that was causing slow or failed login attempts for players. Around 40 minutes later, however, Activision Blizzard confirmed that its PC servers were down as a result of a DDoS attack. We continue to actively monitor an ongoing DDoS attack, which is affecting latency slash connections to our games, it said in a follow-up tweet which they have a screenshot of in the IGN article. The issue is resolved now, of course, it's been a few days, uh, with the servers being down for roughly 3 hours and 30 minutes, at least from when Activision Blizzard first reported the problem it is not clear who is responsible for the attack or if there was a specific motive. Alongside the previously mentioned games, Hearthstone and Diablo Immortal were also affected by the server outages Diablo 3 was as well in my experience So there's that going on it's we don't know who did the ddos it is not unusual for activision blizzard king to get hit with ddos for whatever reason some jerk wants to do that so no one can play their games it happens and that's really all this was call of duty has a code of conduct i think perhaps they have uh, posted this before but i saw that they'd posted it again for some reason so here's their code of conduct. Call of Duty is committed to fighting toxicity and unfair play in this continued effort. We have established a few new a new franchise-wide code of conduct for Call of Duty. Call of Duty is enjoyed by a diverse community from around the world. As members of our community, we are committed to the first One says, treat everyone with respect. We do not tolerate bullying or harassment, including derogatory comments based on race, gender identity or expression, sexual orientation, age, culture, faith, mental or physical abilities, or country of origin. All members of our community should be treated with dignity and respect. Goes on from there. Also compete with integrity. Uh competitive integrity is core to the Call of Duty experience. Progression is earned through good, clean gameplay. Cheating and griefing and other threats to fair play will not be tolerated. You are responsible for how your account is used. The use of cheats including third-party software is unacceptable. Exploiting bugs or engaging in any activity that grants an unfair advantage is considered cheating. And then it says, learn how we combat cheaters with ricochet anti-cheat. Now, I have seen people post little videos, typically, of people who are apparently cheating. And the anti-cheat thing seems to make the game a whole lot less fun for people that are trying to do these cheats, whatever those are. I've never played Call of Duty. I couldn't tell you what these things involve. But uh, they get really mad. (laughs) they get really angry about it when they think that someone else is cheating or if they in fact were cheating and get caught and suddenly their game doesn't work as well anymore. So that's probably a good thing to put in there. I want to go back to the treat everyone with respect thing. I have seen women on Twitter post little clips of their gameplay where someone is uh, saying really vile things to them as soon as they hear the woman's voice and realize that they're not playing against a dude you know it's just kind of a mess and there's a little bit more in here if you want to check that out i mentioned i was going to talk about overwatch and here's where i start with that so Bellular news it's a youtube channel and it's got a few other channels as well but it's all really well done informational stuff about things in gaming and they don't just focus on activision blizzard king they focus on others as well recently There were some leaks for Overwatch 2. I did not see any of those leaks. Other people have seen those leaks. I'm not super focused on Twitter as much as I used to be, so I missed whatever those were. I did see some people who may or may not have been working for uh, Blizzard Activision King, probably Blizzard in this case because Overwatch is a Blizzard product, Uh, Talking about how, well, when you leak stuff, you just make everybody's job harder and all these people are now scrambling to explain things and this sort of stuff. But the thing that's mostly noted in this video, which I highly recommend you watch, it's only about a half hour long, is the Battle Pass stuff that's coming in Overwatch 2. Now, a battle pass on its own isn't necessarily a terrible thing. It is going to have the two-tiered system that we saw in Diablo Immortal, where one version of the battle pass is free to play, and the other is something you need to put real-world money into. That's going to happen in Overwatch. Now, there's a new character named Kuriko who has like a little fox character, and I saw some of the gameplay of that uh, when I was watching this video. And it looks like a cute, fun character to play. And I've never played Overwatch because I have a Mac. And I only recently, essentially kind of recently, got an Xbox. I don't know if I could play Overwatch on on that or not. But I haven't played Overwatch. So I don't know all the ins and outs. And I'm not sure of all the characters. But the main thing is, if you pay for the Battle Pass with real-world money... Then you will get obviously more rewards than if you have the free battle pass. But the thing here is if you want to play this new Kuriko character, there's dissimilar options depending on which part of the battle pass you're choosing. If you go with the paid one, you can unlock this character pretty quickly and just start playing it. If you go with the free pass, you need to get up to something like level 50 in the battle pass system before you can unlock this character. And there's information in the video by Bellular News about how long that would actually take to get to that point on the freebie pass. That's like what it's going to be. Um, he did include some of the, I want to say backpedaling by Activision Blizzard King, mostly probably Blizzard, talking about, oh, well, you know, you, you'll get it. You just have to, you know, you could get it on the free battle pass. It'll just take you a little bit longer. And he kind of calculated out how long in hours that would take to unlock Kuriko. And it appears that the plan is, okay, so there's going to be a season... There's seasons in Diablo Immortals, well, the same battle pass type system. This, this season is going to, the first season of Overwatch 2 is going to unlock, sort of, <laughs> not equitably, but unlock the Kuriko character. And then the next season, they're going to introduce maps. And it's going to go alternating from one to the other, apparently. But it's kind of, like, I could see where, like, oh, well, you paid money, okay, you can unlock this character quicker that's fine. But then to put the same character so far down the freebie battle pass, like I, they've the, I cannot remember the name of the people, the guy that does this, but he's very accurate and stuff. And he calculated how long it would take in hours to grind enough to get the Kuriko character on the freebie pass. And this could be how it goes with overwatch. He also mentioned that other gaming companies do have battle pass type things that, um, you know, you have to grind through to get. And in addition, noted that the you know Overwatch and other games from Blizzard aren't just for the United States, where people generally have enough money to buy a Battle Pass, right? If they want to really, if they really want to play a certain game, they might have just enough money to do that. But other countries, the currency is different, the amount of money people have is different, and so. The implication is, if you're going to put the brand new shiny character so far down the freebie pass, it's going to be really hard for people to obtain it in general, no matter where they live, but also it'd be really hard for people to go ahead and buy the battle pass if they're in a country where the currency is not the same as the United States. So there's a lot of issues there with that, and I'll leave you to watch the video because it's explained in there a lot more and much better than I could do, but I just thought that was kind of egregious on the part of you know Activision Blizzard King to say, well, if you're not paying, you're just going to have to grind forever and hope you get it. That's It doesn't seem like fair play to me, and I always thought that fair play was one of the uh, standards that Blizzard had, but who knows now? I don't know. It's it's a little weird. Speaking of Blizzard, there is a Life at Blizzard Twitter account, and they've been introducing people to us uh Periodically, so this one is about Laurie Durand, who is the senior environmental artist for Diablo Four, um, as te- technically a senior three D environmental artist by day and a plague doctor by night. Apparently, according to the tweet, here is a quote from Laurie Durand: "What I love here is the creativity, the passion, the commitment to quality." The projects fit with what I like to aspire to as an artist. Other than that, the people and the geeky culture here made me feel I could express who I am here. Everyone is encouraged to express their thoughts and opinions while being respectful. And that's a quote from Lori Durand. If you think you'd like to join Blizzard, there's a bunch of internships going on that you could possibly apply for. Uh, Therefore, Concept Art Internship V. Uh, FX internship, cybersecurity internship, rotation manager, MBA summer intern general management, UI slash UX internship, and it goes on from there. There's like two pages of this stuff. I have no idea if this is a paid internship or if this is something you just do because you want to. I don't know. But if this is something you think you want to get into, it looks like uh, a couple of them are in Irvine, uh, there's other places, Santa Monica, Woodland Hills, Sherman Oaks, uh, it sounds like Albany, New York. There's one in New York if you're out there, this kind of thing. So again, I'll put it in the show notes and you can decide what you want to do with that. Diablo 2 Resurrected, has a head A, PTR 2.5, with Terror Zones. Uh, that was listed out on August 25th. But on September 15th, they made an update to it. So in red text is the update stuff. And I'll read you a little bit about that update on September 15th. Content changes have gone live for the PTR 2.5 testing period. These changes are indicated in red text in this thing. I'm reading you the PTR will end on September 19th at 10 a.m. PDT. And today is the 17th as I'm recording this. So um, here's some stuff. I'm going to read you just the red text. There's a piece here that says the flames of the burning hells have forecasted the future hero ladder season two will begin on october 6th additional details on ladder season two including launch timing will be communicated in an upcoming diablo 2 resurrected blog we cannot wait for players to begin the race to collect loads of experience and loot while slaying demons and climbing the leaderboard so there's that act one is also going to include uh, in in addition to what They've already mentioned there is something called the pit that's going to be in Act One that you can go do. There is a uh, River of Flame slash City of the Damned in Act looks like four you can do. Uh, the following zones can now become terrorized because there is a terror zone uh, enabled in the game. If I haven't mentioned that in previous shows, there's a terror zone, and I guess you come in and just beat things up, is my understanding. I haven't actually tried any of this yet. Uh, so the following zones can now become terrorized. So that would be the Pit and the City of the Damned. The following zones can no longer become terrorized. That would be Act 2, Maggot Lair and Harem slash Palace Cellar. And also Act 3, Lower Karast. The Act 1, Black Marsh Zone was accidentally added to the list of terrorized zones It has been removed. This zone was never able to be terrorized. We apologize for any confusion. There's a developer thing in here. The dominant driver of these changes was mob density. Fully clearing a zone is more beneficial in a terrorized zone, but this becomes less efficient if the density of a zone is too low. Rather than adjust mob density, which, we have, which can have ramifications on melee builds, we opted instead to remove zones with lighter mob density. And it goes on from there. There's also these things called new sundered charms, which some people seem to think is really cool. I don't know much about them, so I'm just going to read and learn, I guess. I know Riker's got a video about it. Probably other people do as well. In Hell Difficulty, many monsters receive resistance to specific damage types. If their resistance increases above 100%, that monster is then immune to a specific damage type. Because there are only a handful of ways to reduce a monster's immunity, only a a minute portion of hero builds maybe they mean minute, uh, can successfully farm all zones in Diablo 2 Resurrected. We realize that this can create scenarios where certain builds are unable to take full advantage of the current Terror Zone, thus missing out on the experience gains and, more importantly, the fun of these zones. To promote increased classed Class Build Diversity. We are introducing six new unique grand charms that allow the player to break specific monster immunity types while the charm is in their inventory. You'll notice a new keyword below called Sunder. This keyword means that if a monster has immunity to a specific damage type, their resistance will be reduced to 95% regardless of what their starting resistance percentage was, breaking their immunity and allowing damage of that type to be dealt to them. Sunder is applied before other resistance reducing modifiers and only affects non-players. These new unique charms will only drop from terrorized monsters of champion, unique, super unique, or boss difficulty. There is one trade-off that comes with the new unique grand charms. While they reduce a monster's resistance they also reduce your resistance to the same element, allowing you to receive more damage of that type. During the PTR, sundering charms will not drop from monsters and can only be tested through the PTR character templates mentioned later in the blog. So there's a few of them. There are six. The black cleft is uh, magic resist 50%. The bone break is physical damage received increased by 25%. The cold rupture is cold resist 75%. And this is apparently it's the um, on the monster. Uh, not necessarily on the player, but I guess it says it affects the player as well. in the. Stuff I just read to you. There's one called the Crack of the Heavens, which is lightning resist 75%. The Flame... Actually, these are minuses in front of that. Minus 75% on that one. The Crack of the Heavens is that one. The Flame Rift also has fire resist minus 75%. The Rotting Fissure is a poison resist of 75%. So people seem to be really excited about these. And there's new PTR character templates starting on September 15th. All characters made during the PTR until... Uh, the time that they wrote this will be removed and replaced with 13 level 85 character template options for players to use during the PTR's duration. Each character template is equipped with one of the new sundered charms so players may experience how they work firsthand. And then there's a list of all of them. And I think that's the main idea in this one. Um, they fixed some stuff a little bit, but that's. That's the thing is these charms. That seems to be the new thing there. As you may expect, Maxwell has a guide on the Sunder Charms and Ladder that is to start on October 6th. So you have some time to think about that. If you're not in the PTR, I suppose you could get in the PTR. I'm not really sure when that ends. This was published and updated on September 16, 2022. And it's talking about the different Sunder Charms. It's got some of the details that I read right off to you but it's got a lot more it's got a video in here um a youtube video and that kind of thing so if you really want to know more about it i suggest you go to max roll and see what they have to say there's another video here from, uh, who is who, uh, is talking about the Sunder Grand Charms in Diablo II Resurrected. You can check that out if you want to see what he has to say. Big Daddy Den has a video, uh, Warp Speed, 440% Key Slash Bounties Season 27, 2.7.4. So that's the PTR for that. Uh, that's another YouTube video you can check out if you're interested, Uh, Looks like Xantarax has put the North America Challenge Rift 70, something 73, YouTube thing on the front of it, I can't tell, Um, for North America guide. I know there's an EU guide, but I couldn't find it when I was putting this together. And... Diablo Immortal is doing an event called the Scorched Sea limited time event which I've tried to work on. I'm not really good at this yet for some reason. It feels to me like you could go ahead and complete certain activities and it will count towards this and you'll get like loot and stuff, probably experience as well. I'm not really sure about that one. And then there's some that feel gated to me because I'm not on the paid for pass, maybe if you if I paid for it I would be able to, you know, unlock things quicker, but it's, it feels kind of stilted. So I've got this situation where I'm like off doing bounties and then coming back to see if I've earned anything and seeing that it's sort of like not counting it. Like there was one where it said, send a friend, like on your battle net, send a battle net friend a message. And I was like, okay. So I sent a message to Brazia, who used to be one of the hosts of the show back in the day for quite some time. We were one of the... It was uh, me and Nevik and Brazia and Lantonio. And I noticed Brazia was on, so I sent a little message, you know, hi, how are you? And and figured, okay, I've sent it. Uh, When you do this through Diablo Immortal, there is a gap of time where you are waiting for the game to actually send it there. And when you do, it should have got that... It should have completed that for me then. Like, okay, you sent it to a friend, but it didn't count it for some reason. and I don't know why that happened, so I'm a little confused by that. There's also, there's other events going on. The other one was, uh, well, I tried Hungry Moon. That one's over for the moment. Oh, I hit 60. I hit 60 in Diablo Immortal just earlier today, and... I haven't put up the videos yet, but there'll be videos on my YouTube. It's Book of Jen YouTube, and also on my website, Book of Jen. But with that, there was another thing going on that was called Return to Sanctuary, and that one also has quests and things that they want you to complete, and it's, like, cut off. Like, you could do these two right now, but then you have to wait sort of thing before you can actually access the other ones and it's a bit time consuming and I, th- I think they just don't want players to just blow right through that but it's a bit frustrating <laughs> if that hey i did this thing but you didn't count it what are you doing but if you're trying to do the scorched sea limited time event it ends on september 28 at 3 a.m server time so there's that if you finish the whole thing, you get the sand blasted, scorched sea portrait frame and ode to vanquishing countless of demons. So there's that. There's another one. Um, September twenty first. There's going to be a Miss of Sarangar limited time edition, and that is going to end on September thirty. start September twenty one and September thirty. And there's a bunch of things you can do. It is uh, to prepare you for this momentous occasion during the Miss of kragnar event a bonus experience buff will be active for all players who are behind the server paragon level well right now that's me i have no paragon i just hit 60 so we'll see how that goes and where i'm at by the time september 21 rolls around so that's just some stuff that's going on in diablo immortal i'm having fun with it i haven't put any money into the game because i just don't want to but i tried the hungering moon i've never been able to complete that one on time I'm doing a little bit better with the Scorch Sea thing, and we'll just see what the other one is like when it gets there. GamesRadar Plus, uh, I guess it's just Games Radar, has an update about the orbs. It says Diablo Immortal players in orb debt won't be banned, Blizzard confirms. Quote, having negative orbs on an account will not ban the Diablo Immortal account. So here's a little bit about that. Blizzard has confirmed that it will not ban Diablo Immortal accounts with negative orbs. Some players recently found themselves with massive amounts of in-game debt following Blizzard's crackdown on using third-party sites to purchase Eternal Orbs, the game's primary form of currency. While the use of these sites goes against the game's terms of service, some players use them as they offer a better deal than buying orbs through the in-game store. But Blizzard has confirmed it has no plans to ban players with the negative orb balance outright. In a post shared on the Diablo Immortal subreddit, The publisher says, quote, having negative orbs on an account will not ban the Diablo Immortal account. It adds gameplay limitations will apply to the account while the balance is negative, though. So certain features will not be accessible until the orb balance reaches positive again. So that's a thing, you know, (laughs) here's the actual thing from from the Reddit It says, Hey there, Game Master uh, Lenawater here at your service. Thank you for your patience today. I know the wait for tickets is a bit long currently. I received your ticket and want to help provide some information on this. Having negative orbs on an account will not ban the Diablo Immortal account. Gameplay limitations will apply to the account while the balance is negative, though. So certain features will not be accessible until the orb balance reaches positive again. Let us know if you have any other questions. Take care and have a great rest of your day. So there's that. Yeah, so basically, uh, I'll just read this next paragraph here. Having a negative orb balance means players must clear their outstanding debt before any more in-game purchases can be made. This isn't good news for those who spent vast amounts of cash on third party orbs, including a player called Shia, who now faces a negative 2,491,025 orb debt that would take around $35,000 to pay off. Other punishments for having an orb balance in the can include the ability to join uh, parties or engage in group activities I remember I think the last show I was talking about a guy that might have been this guy that was like hey why don't you just you know knock my character back to where it was before I bought those third party orbs and, and that would be fine and then he told this news site that was interviewing him that he could just build that character right back up really quick and it would be fine and I'm thinking like this is not a punishment at all you know what I mean that's what he wanted, though. I don't think he got it. And then Kotaku has a little bit more. Diablo Mortal community faces new unrest over ill-gotten orbs, comma lack of bans. An update. It seems like Blizzard won't be banning players who bought cheap eternal orbs from resellers. So here's uh, some stuff from Kotaku. In the real world, everything runs on Dunkin'. In Diablo Immortal, it's powered by orbs. I think Dunkin' means Dunkin' Donuts like coffee or something like that. I'm not really sure what this is referring to otherwise. Uh, In Diablo Immortal, it's powered by orbs, eternal orbs, to be precise, and players are once again reckoning with the mobile action RPG's microtransaction economy after Blizzard announced that players who purchased hundreds of thousands of illicit orbs from third-party sellers won't be banned. This is BS, wrote one player on Reddit. If I had known there would be no ban, I would have just bought third-party too. Diablo Immortal is a loot based dungeon crawler. I think we all know what that is at this point if you're listening to this show. Um, yeah, let's see. Um... Anyone who wants to become a serious contender in its competitive landscape will need to spend money on Eternal Orbs to efficiently grind its endgame. Some top players claim to have invested tens of thousands of dollars into the mobile spinoff, and recently more than a few found their orb hordes had been turned into orb debts after Blizzard purged the game of third-party reseller purchases. And there's an explanation, I think, if you're listening to this, you know what the orbs are. If you play the game, maybe you don't play Diablo Immortal, so I'll read you a little bit more. Eternal orbs are a paid currency in Diablo Immortal that fuel its endgame progression. Everything from making activities drop rarer loot to obtaining platinum for crafting better gear requires shelling out for orbs. While there are a couple of ways to earn them outright, they're predominantly purchased with real money. And since the road to a stronger Diablo character is paved with Eternal Orbs, players have an incentive to hunt for discounts whenever they can find them. Some of these discounts exist in the Diablo Immortal store. For $1, players can get 60 orbs. For $100, they can get 6,000 orbs, plus a bonus $1,200 or $20 in savings. But the biggest discounts exist on third-party reseller platforms, promising troves of orbs at steep discounts. Google, quote, buy cheap Eternal Orbs, end quote and one of the first sites the search engine will serve up is igvault.com it promises quote cheap and safe Diablo Immortal Eternal Orbs and other items one listing offers 7,200 orbs for just $80 while some resellers might claim to be liquidating gift cards at a discount the general understanding is that most of these services are a way for people to profit off of stolen credit cards instead of using your information to rack up charges at Walmart or Amazon they can get cash directly by being a middleman for microtransactions and pocketing what's left and players in the Diablo Immortal community specifically have been complaining about orb resellers becoming more and more prominent for weeks. A couple of weeks ago, Blizzard finally took action. PC Games N reported that after the company revoked the illicit orb purchases en masse, some of Diablo Immortal's biggest free-to-play quote whales were left with a giant negative balance. One top player, who goes by Shia, showed a screenshot of of a balance reflecting an orb debt, and I already read you those numbers in the previous article. Some players rejoiced over the the playing field being re-leveled but others are now furious again after a new message from Blizzard customer service basically saying that they're not going to ban these players, but they are going to have limitations on what they can do in the game until they pay off their orb debt. This is the weirdest freaking thing to come out of gaming in a while, I think. Like, I know people have bought gold in World of Warcraft from questionable sources in the past and probably got in trouble for it, maybe. But, uh, yeah, like, hey, I really want to play your game, but now I have orb debt and I can't pay $35,000 to Blizzard for this. and. Oh, my goodness, you know. Here's a couple comments from people who did do this stuff. Quote, I really don't care if they get fully banned, wrote one player on the subreddit, but they should not be allowed to circumvent their limits by using Party Finder or forming their own groups, and they should especially not be allowed into Battlegrounds, Wars, or another uh, RITE, wrote another. So why would regular, legit pay players want to spend any more money at all? There's no consequences for these players, so why shouldn't everyone use these third-party sources? The situation might not be so messy, says... Kotaku, if it weren't for Diablo Immortal's pay-to-win business model to begin with. Quote, We want to ensure a fair playing field for everyone in Diablo Immortal. Part of this effort involves taking action when we see players participate in fraudulent purchases, Blizzard wrote in a statement on September 7. Of course, those fraudulent purchases only exist in the first place because the only way to be number one in Diablo Immortal is to be one of the biggest in-game spenders. And it's an incredibly lucrative arrangement. Diablo Immortal reportedly continues to rake in a million dollars a Day. And then there's the update Blizzard has decided to crack down harder on players with orb debt, the company told Kotaku in a statement. Players with negative balances won't be banned, but moving forward, they'll be locked out of more of Diablo Immortals content. So there's that. So this is interesting in a number of ways. First, this is another situation where pay to win seems to be accurate in Diablo Immortal. The people who did go to third-party sellers probably should have known better than to do that. I mean, did they really think that Blizzard would have no idea where you got those orbs from? I mean, they're tracking it. They sell it themselves. You know, they're not going to want to be undercut by whatever these third-party things are doing. So I can see where, like, I think these whales, essentially, who had the money to buy all this stuff, probably thought this was giving them an advantage. And... Maybe didn't think that Blizzard would ever notice or care about where they got the orbs from. Clearly that didn't work out for them. But what's happening now is if they have orb debt, they can't be invited to a party. They can't invite people to their party. They can't use legendary crests. So that's for like uh, some of the rifts and stuff, if that's the right word. Um, And they cannot trade on the in-game market. So if you have like a really cool gem or something and you want to like trade it with, you know, something, you you can't, you just can't, you can't trade it. Uh, So what I think is going to occur is the following. These whales who spent a ton of money to boost up their character and then decided that buying orbs from third parties was a great idea are now getting dinged for that. And there's going to be less and less stuff they can do in the game until they pay off that orb balance. So what I think is going to happen is a number of these people are just going to get frustrated and quit. That's what I think is going to happen. Now, if so, if a number of them do that and just don't have, you know, an exorbitant amount of money to throw into Diablo Immortal to pay for their sins, basically, (laughs) um, I think they're just going to leave. I think they're totally just going to leave. I don't know that they could start another character because I'm sure it's tracked. who's, you know, what character owed this much? Oh, you made a second? No, you can't do that either, I think is what's going to happen. It's, it's really weird to think about something like orb debt in a game like this and just how we got here. And I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of weirdness in Diablo Immortal. Things like this just kind of, it, it almost makes me wonder why people thought they'd get away with that in the first place. But here they are. I guess, perhaps, after the initial start of Diablo Immortal, maybe Blizzard thinks that they've gotten all the money from the whales that they needed for now, and they don't really care if these people leave. Maybe that's it. They've drain them of their money and then they uh are going to drain them for more because now those people have orb debt in some cases and i just orb debt can you imagine you know why'd you stop playing diablo Immortal? orb debt what's orb debt you know what i mean like most people aren't gonna know what that is it's gonna sound so weird in the real world and that's really all i have for you today so i'm gonna close out the show you can find everything again at shatteredsoulstone.com if you want to read more about this stuff You have been listening to episode 377 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in-game, our in-game community and clan, at least in Diablo 3, are both named Shattered Soulstone and are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening. A four-year veteran in Ubisoft's parish, parish, let's try that again. (laughs) It's not a church.